0: Welcome to Evolve. My name is Brandon Stover, and I believe that evolution of the world requires evolution of the individual. I believe entrepreneurs are consistently changing that world, and we always will be. So with this show, I will bring you the people and ideas with tools necessary to hack your growth in your business and your life. Together, let's ask the world's biggest question, build businesses to solve them, and live happy and fulfilling lives in the process. It's time to evolve. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Evolve. Today's guest is a founder, entrepreneur, author, speaker, and teacher, and a leading voice in the tiny house movement that has come out from the fringe to national prominence with reality TV shows and millions of posts on Instagram. With a combined social community following of over 78.1 thousand people, it's not hard to see why he is widely recommended by tiny house experts as a go-to source for planning a successful tiny house. However, his journey to a 200-square-foot house and achieving the life and career he longed for was anything but obvious. Finding himself in his late 20s, working a 9-to-5 in corporate America, unfulfilled by life, he craved a more flexible lifestyle where he was not chained to a cubicle desk all day. After taking a a month-long sabbatical from work, going on an 800-plus-mile bicycle tour across multiple states, and couch surfing, tent pitching, and crashing a few tiny homes along the way, He made a decision to embrace the tiny house lifestyle, quit his job, and built his tiny house on wheels. Since 2012, his determination, hard work, and blinding commitment to having freedom and work and life has led him to educating thousands of tiny house hopefuls everywhere answering the big questions about tiny houses and planning each system. His flagship resource, Tiny House Decisions, has been highly recognized by tiny house experts as a must-read book And his podcast dives inside the heads of tiny house luminaries and everyday tiny house dwellers so you can plan, build, and live the tiny house uh, life you've been dreaming of. He's also been featured in Forbes, the Boston Globe, Yahoo, Design New England, and dozens of home publications and tiny house podcasts. Sharing his passion with other tiny house dwellers, he has spoken at the National Tiny House Jamboree, Dwell on Design, and the Tiny House Conference. I'm honored to welcome founder of tinyhouse.net, author of Tiny House Decisions, Tiny House Parking, and Color Me Tiny, and a man who once got pulled over for his tiny home roof-clipping a sagging utility line, and a police officer finding it so intriguing that he let him go, Ethan Waldman.
1: Wow, thanks, Brandon. That's a great intro. It's great to be here.
0: Absolutely. Well, I'm very excited to dive in. Um, Tiny homes have really been something that has taken off in the last few years. Many people are intrigued. And you've lived in one over six years now. So how has your ideas and love for tiny homes changed since 2012?
1: Well, I would say that my relationship to the tiny house movement has changed and evolved over that time, you know, from the place where I was that you, you kind of mentioned in the intro, you know, working the corporate job, feeling kind of unfulfilled and just like that there was something else for me out there um mm-hmm. you know when i first found tiny houses it they felt like a real just it it seemed like such a great opportunity it seemed like the exact right thing for me at the time um uh, because my you know my monthly expenses in terms of my rent were the rent was the highest thing and so right. i i realized that if i could you know own my own little house outright that would give me a lot more freedom to freedom to fail freedom to you know try a business, try consulting, try, you know, try whatever without, you know, needing to have a huge emergency fund, a huge, a huge runway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when I made the leap, that's where I was with, with tiny houses. And, you know, to continue the story, you know, I, I, it took a lot longer to build it than, than I thought it was going <laughs> to, you know, I, I went in just a complete novice. Um, so some friends in the construction industry had suggested that that a tiny house could be built in three to four months. Mm-hmm. And while that's realistic for a construction crew of professionals, you know, working, <laughs> right. you know, putting in a full-time day, a finely oiled machine um, for a, a solo novice builder, that was, you know, it, it quickly became obvious that that was not, not going to happen. So three months turned more into to 13. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, while that was happening, I successfully made the transition from a full-time corporate employee to uh, a consultant. I was, I was able to kind of turn my, my nine to five job into a consulting gig, um, which turned out to be just totally crucial for me just in terms of, of income, you know, cause I was able to, to keep working on projects and just put that money into the tiny house build, which definitely went over budget for, from what I what I budgeted, mainly because I realized that I needed to hire some professional help. And so I did end up working with a local um, carpenter slash kind of jack of all trades throughout the build about one or two days a week. Um, so that added some cost, but it really helped me learn a lot and also helped helped it actually get done.
0: Tell me a little bit about when you were working the nine to five, um, you know, you kind of were looking in the future, seeing yourself 10 years from now. And is it really where you wanted to be? What was it about that trajectory that left you seeking something else?
1: It was, it was multiple things. Um, I think just, just being inside and sitting at a desk all day didn't feel good to me. Um, I love the outdoors. I love to ski and hike and, and, bike and it just always irked me you know sitting in the cubicle you know not even near a window but just like (laughs) walking by a window and seeing how gorgeous it was outside and I mean I live in Vermont and I think it's one of the most beautiful places in in the country and so it's it's even you know it's not like I was looking out on a strip mall I was looking out like on a gorgeous mountain like packed with snow and, and just kind of feeling like, ah, I gotta, I've got to figure out a way that I can reorganize my life so that I can prioritize these things a little bit more or reprioritize.
0: What was it, um, during the bicycle tour that kind of opened your eyes into jump, taking that jump?
1: You know, the bicycle tour is kind of an interesting footnote for me. Um, while I was, so it was for those listening, you know, if you ever see a, a, group of two or three people cycling down the side of the road and their bikes are just laden with with yellow usually bright yellow bags you know hanging off the bike that's bicycle touring so you're you're carrying all of your clothes food tent everything you're carrying it on your bicycle it's it's like backpacking on a bicycle and you know people kept coming up to me well us I was with my my cousin Dan who I'm very close with people kept coming up to Dan and I saying oh this is you know asking us where we were going what we were doing and we'd explain and they would say this is going to be such a life changing experience for you this is this is amazing your life is going to totally change and I kept like on the bike tour being like well I don't feel like my life is changing I feel really <laughs> <Yeah>. tired <and laughs> hungry But it, you know, it wasn't until I got back when when I got home that I realized it wasn't that my life had changed. It was that I had changed, Mm -hmm. you know, after being kind of self-sufficient for 30 days and also just living with such a small selection of possessions, you know, that had been very carefully selected, but, but really feeling like I had everything I needed, you know, the life that I left and then came back to, you know, it felt foreign to me to return to a house full of stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. And so the bike tour is, is kind of what maybe planted the idea in my head that I could be happy living with a lot less stuff.
0: Yeah. When you kind of had that realization and set your, your eyes on the goal that you had for a tiny home, you went into um, what you and your wife now call hobo mode, um, which was basically yeah. saving everything you could to make it a reality. So tell me about the dedication that you had to make this happen.
1: Yeah. I, I'd never been that great at saving money. You know, I wasn't like reckless, but it wasn't until I had a real, a real goal, just something that felt really important and and really tangible that I was was able to actually follow through on like radically saving money. Um, So yeah, it was just a matter of, you know, not going out to eat very much or at all, or, you know, not not doing extraneous shopping, just trying to save money anywhere that I could. Um, And at the time, something that I really found useful was that I, I set up kind of a separate savings account in within my bank. And like, the the bank kind of allows you to make an instant transfer between accounts. And so, right. you know, if I, you know, if I went out and like didn't order a beer, I would like transfer $8 from, from mm-hmm. my checking account to my savings account and kind of turned it into a game of like, I'm paying mm-hmm. myself. I'm paying for this tiny house each time that happens. And after the tiny house, um, I found an awesome software called You Need a Budget or YNAB. Um, which I've used for years now, and and I wish that I had had it before and and especially during the build because I, I didn't I didn't do a great job of tracking my costs through the build, and I think that if I had been using something like YNAB, I really could have potentially not spent as much on the build or at least had a better handle on on where I was financially.
0: Yeah, we uh, we also use YNAB um, for our savings, and there's something empowering about having a goal that you set for yourself. And as you mentioned, it's kind of like paying yourself rather than paying somebody else. So it's really paying your way towards your dream. Absolutely. During this time, you had mentioned that you were transitioning to being a consultant, working as an entrepreneur, a technology coach. Mm -hmm. How has living in a tiny home empowered you as an entrepreneur?
1: Well, um, I think that just the big reduction in, in living costs Enabled me to experiment a bit more and not, you know, not put too much pressure on the new business to, Mm -hmm. you know, to have to be able to cover the monthly nut right away. Right. Um, Because the monthly nut was a whole lot lower. And I would say that. It also helped ease the transition because, you know, the consulting work that I was doing for my, the old company was different than the, than the technology coaching, which was my kind of first business out of, out of after the corporate career. Um, and the business felt promising, but it, it, ha- it had not yet reached the point where it could support me. So the mm-hmm. consulting really helped ease that transition, and i I'm super grateful and, and I feel really lucky that i I had a job where my position was pretty unique, so it it was easier for them to just say, well, "How about we just keep you on as a consultant rather than you know have to deal with finding somebody to replace you?"
0: Yeah, absolutely now you have basically built a community and business around sharing tested tiny home insights and instructions from other owners and builders and dwellers what is it that makes you so passionate about helping others with this movement
1: i just think i see i see a little bit of myself in in all of them you know people mm. people come to the tiny house movement for for a lot of different reasons but you know financial reasons are a major underpinning um whether it's you know someone in their 20s who wants to own their first house or or increasingly now uh, people who are reaching the age of or the the age where they would like to think about retiring um and realizing that a tiny house can really stretch out the money that they they do have so i see myself in in them it's it's very rewarding. I mean, there's nothing better than, you know, getting an email from someone, you know, a year or two after they've purchased your, your ebook saying, you know, look, here are pictures of my tiny house. Like I started off on one of your webinars or I started off by, you know, buying tiny house decisions. Um, that's super rewarding. Um, and just it's, it's a topic that I've found, you know, that I can stay interested in. Mm-hmm. Just talk, you know, staying involved in the tiny house movement because I, you know, I only built my one tiny house. I'm not a professional tiny house builder. And so, you know, through, through writing and blogging and self-publishing the books and, and now more recently through hosting a weekly podcast about tiny houses, um, it's helped me stay in touch with the movement and just um, there's a lot there. There's a lot of cool things happening.
0: Yeah, I think a, a big element to, um, you know, you mentioned seeing yourself in these other people and helping them realize what they're dreaming for, um, you know, for many entrepreneurs and people coming into the tiny house movement, financial freedom is a big driver. And uh, I think a tiny home is a way that you can realize that a lot faster than you Absolutely. think you could. And so how has this been true for you?
1: I would say that I was able to, when the consulting work, you know, all consulting, I feel like has its kind of natural life cycle, you know, companies go through good periods and bad periods. And, and it's, you know, usually when, when, for, a, for a bigger company, when they have a bad quarter or, you know, the leadership changes, the first thing to go is like, all right, fire the consultants. Like, right, right, you know, they're very <laughs> expendable. And, you know, I had seen the writing on the wall that this was happening, but you know, I I didn't love the work anymore, the consulting work. And when, you know, it was clear to me that things were kind of drying up, I didn't have to go and hustle for more work that I didn't want to do. You know, mm-hmm. I probably could have, you know, found some other managers in the company and pitched my services to them or gone to other similar companies and said like, hey, I do this. But I didn't have to do that because... You know, my expenses had finally really lowered a lot. The the house was done; I owned it outright. Um, I had an amazing parking situation, so I was basically trading some technology coaching hours per month for a free parking spot for the tiny house. Very nice. So, you know, my my rent and utilities dropped from something like fifteen hundred dollars a month to. Close to zero. I mean, mm-hmm. heat does cost something in the tiny house, but you know, call it a hundred dollars a month averaged across the year for heat, electricity, and internet at the tiny house. And, you know, that's about it.
0: Yeah. Um, I think uh one of the cool things is um in the movement and kind of the community around of tiny homes, there is this sort of return to like a bartering system. Like I have a skill set, you had technology coaching. Um, This other person has a place for you to park your tiny home and you're able to trade those things without necessarily having to use money as the in-between of that.
1: Yeah. And you see that a lot in the, in the tiny house movement. Um, You know, so there's this woman, Dee Williams, who's kind of the, um, one of the pioneers of the tiny house movement. Um, And she actually lived in the backyard of an elderly woman for years and years. Um, And, you know, the the woman whose yard she parked in just really wanted some some companionship and, and right. someone that she could interact with and and help. And you know, Dee ended up helping her, driving her to doctor's appointments and those kinds of things. But, you know, it was a beautiful relationship where where each person was getting something that, you know, is hard to find.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a huge element of community um inside the tiny house movement. And one of the things that when you uh, started building URIs, you were kind of sharing what you were doing and building an, a community for yourself and eventually kind of turning this into um, an income stream for yourself as well.
1: Yeah, and and that was not something that I expected would happen. But basically, um, my my tech coaching business, which was called Cloud Coach, you know, it was doing okay. Basically, my I love, I love technology. I love, I'm a good teacher. I'm patient. I'm good at explaining things. And so what I really wanted to do was, was coach small businesses on how to use the technology kind of in their businesses to better serve them. And what I found was um, the businesses and people who were able to pay me Really just wanted me to do it for them they didn 't mm. want to learn it. they wanted it to be done for them and the the people who wanted to learn usually couldn 't pay and so right. you know there was a lot of bartering, a lot of barters going on <laughs> um, unfortunately, you know you can't you can 't pay your bills, however small they are you know with, right. with free yoga classes <laughs> um, so what I ended up doing what I found that a lot of people needed was was websites. And mm-hmm. so I started building websites for clients, but it wasn't kind of in my zone of, of excellence. You know, it, it was something that I could do, but I never felt that strong about my abilities right. and I didn't really enjoy the work. And so I was kind of going down this path of like, following the money in my own business, which is something that I, I didn't feel that great about. I didn't want to do websites. Um, and so when I started building the tiny house, I registered a domain, the tiny and figured, you know, like some people before me who had put out just amazingly helpful blogs while they were building like blogs that I would refresh multiple times a day to see if there was an update because they were like a month or two or three ahead of me in their builds. And they were like, Mm. they were like documenting the process for me. It was amazing. You know, after the first like couple of weeks, I just, there was no way I was going to keep up with the blog. I, I, I have immense respect for people who are able to document you know, intense projects and write about them while they're (laughs) doing them. But that, that person is not me. So, um, what I did instead is I start, I just created a Facebook page building the tiny house and I just started sharing photos of the build kind of little updates that were much, you know, much easier and quicker to post. Um, and, you know by the time the the house was done the page had about 15,000 likes um just completely organically i had i had done nothing to promote it and you know i was getting questions all the time from people mm-hmm. about you know why did you choose this type of trailer you know what did you use for heat what kind of flooring is that like what are those countertops made of just questions questions and this was a time that there wasn't a ton of, of, there weren't reality shows, there weren't YouTube channels really. There just right. wasn't a lot of tiny house info out there. And so, you know, I set out um, on, on writing what would become my, my kind of signature resource, Tiny House Decisions.
0: Yeah. Tell me a little bit about tiny house decisions and how you approach decision making, you know, in the tiny home build. But then also you made some big decisions in your life, you know, taking a jump into this. So how do you approach decision making?
1: Sure. Um, Well, for tiny houses, I'll start there. Tiny houses, though they're small, are, I believe, more complex than larger homes um because you you've got all the same utilities, you know, heat, hot water, air conditioning, cooking, just all these things shoehorned into a much tinier space. Mm-hmm. And so fitting those pieces together really is a puzzle. And the decisions I call it in the in tiny house decisions snowballing decisions. So like something that you decide, something that you decided and built into your house 6 months ago is going to affect for instance what kind of heater you can put there now because mm. of how much space you've left or what pipes or what plumbing you've run to that area. And so I set out to create a really systematic approach to making these decisions based on my own experience and then further resource uh, research just basically to say you know okay so you want to you want to live in a tiny house like let's figure out some really big decisions, big questions first, and then move from there. So it starts from, you know, should you do it on a trailer or should you build one on the ground? Should you build it with help or should you try it yourself? You know, it starts there and then progresses through the systems, you know, like heating and plumbing and then into the the actual building techniques and materials. And then finally, it ends with, with living.
0: Do you take the same approach to your life and business when you're making a decision?
1: (laughs) I wish. (laughs) I mean, I think that, that what's nice about a tiny house is that, you know, as, as, as creative as you can be, and you can be very creative, there is a very well trodden kind of path now that you can follow about a build. Whereas, you know, in life and business, it feels less, um, less predetermined, I guess, uh, Mm -hmm. And the, the, the situations and the, just the, what goes into everything is, there's a lot more varied, but, but yeah, I would say that I, I try to what I learned from building the tiny house is to really think about the implications of a decision, not just right now, but trying to think further ahead and say like, how is this going to affect the next project that I do and the next project Mm. after that? And I, I do try to bring that to my tiny house business especially like when it comes to bringing new technology you know new platforms new things new ideas into the business
0: Mm, absolutely one of the things that i love about tiny homes is this down downsizing mentality that you go through um you know decluttering your environment because i also find that it declutters your brain and gives you more mental capacity and clarity um how do you view owning things and crafting your environment for that?
1: I never got into the tiny house movement because I was a diehard minimalist. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, my wife and I both love to ski and, you know, we have our, we have our outdoor sports that, you know, that requires gear. And so we, you know, we have gear, we have stuff, you know, I was never the, like, I just have one black t-shirt kind of person. Um, (laughs) but I, I, I agree that, that the process is really liberating. And, you know, what I like to tell people who are like, Oh, I want to build a tiny house right now, but I, you know, I need to save up money for the next two years. Um, You can start on the downsizing process right now. Um, Mm -hmm. You can start on it even if you never plan to live tiny and, and the benefits are, as you mentioned, you know, just a sense of less mental clutter. When you when you own less stuff and you you it it really is less burdensome.
0: I think it helps you to really identify what you value in life as well. I mean, you mentioned you really love outdoor sports, so you're going to have all of that gear. Right. Or maybe I don't value that, and so I would be like, "Well, that's crazy to have all that gear."
1: Exactly. You can. There's no, there are no tiny house police or minimalism police <laughs> out there. I mean, if you put your story out there on the internet. People will criticize you, but that's pretty mm-hmm. much true for anything. Um, so yeah, you can you can do it as much or as little as you want. You know, we have we have two small sheds that live with our tiny house and have stuff mm. in them. You know, I don't, I don't hide that. Right. It's not How- for me. It wasn't about getting every all of my stuff to fit inside of it.
0: How has been sharing your story and kind of putting yourself out there um, online in terms of maybe being criticized or looked different at?
1: I feel lucky. I've gotten not a lot of criticism. You know, you you see snarky comments now and again, but by and large, I feel pretty lucky. Um, and possibly it's because i i don't have a youtube channel <laughs> <I> see, <laughs> youtube sometimes seems like it's the worst place for that kind of, of right. behavior but um no by and large the people who reach out to me are are wonderful and are um thankful for what i'm doing and just um especially in podcasting as i'm sure you you've found you know the people who listen to a show every week you know they feel like you know they know you, and then when they reach mm-hmm. out, you you can get to know them, and it's it's a great kind of relationship builder with your audience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, what about some of the people that are closer to you in your life? So, um, your wife and and you live in the tiny home, got married in front of the tiny home. Um, how has living in a tiny home affected your guys's relationship?
1: Yeah, well, I will say that we we actually do not live in the tiny home anymore. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so so Ann, Anne and I met about nine months to a year before I started building, okay. and um you know, throughout the build, our relationship kind of got stronger, and you know, in the middle of the build, my housing situation you know i again, I was trying to live as cheaply as possible. my housing situation right. fell through, and she so she was like, "Why don't you just move in with me?" And I was like, "All right, let's do that um, and so you know, we have always maintained actually two residences, which is oh, wow. uh, very kind of makes me blush because, you know, here I am this like tiny house person. Um, but it has made sense for us to, to keep her condo, which is admittedly quite tiny as well. Um, that's kind of in the city in Burlington, Vermont. And then the tiny house is kind of out in the mountains, you know, where we like to play. And mm-hmm. so we, you know, we have spent long stretches of time at the tiny house, you know, enough to say like we know what it's like to live there. And we certainly could live there full time if we wanted to. Um, unfortunately, some the thing with tiny houses is they're not legal everywhere. Right. So it's it's much easier to park out in the in the country from a legal standpoint than it would be to it here in Burlington, which is where you know she happens to to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of trade, we trade that it's a trade off. You know, she's able to walk to work from where we live now, whereas the the tiny house would be about an hour drive. And so there's you mm-hmm. know there's like a lifestyle decision that we've made there.
0: Absolutely. Uh, do, do you feel um, and the time time stretches that you do spend there together? Do you feel it brings you closer together just because of proximity of space?
1: Definitely. I I think that, you know, we we've always been good communicators and we talk things through. You know, we're not the kind of couple that like goes silent for for a couple of days after a disagreement. Um, But yeah, the tiny house definitely does force a level of interaction sometimes (laughs) because there really isn't you know, there's no space where you can go to be alone. Though, you know, when when one person's up in the loft, and the other person's kind of down in the great room. there is a separation of those two spaces, but you can still talk to each other. Right. Um, You know, if you really need space, then you have to go outside.
0: Family also seems to be a big value for you. Um, You've visited them a lot, like as they're scattered across the country and your parents even like, let you use their backyard and barn for a construction site while you build. So what yep. were some of the things from your family or growing up that influenced you towards living this lifestyle in the future or being an entrepreneur?
1: You know, my family was was very supportive to me in, um, in doing this tiny house. Um, I think that there was definitely a period of time where It was a very fragile idea for me, where like if if there had been someone in my life close to me who was like a major detractor, I might not have done it. You know, I might have Mm -hmm. been able to be convinced. Of course, as I as I built it and as it became more real, you know, the chances that I would have given up got much, much less and and approached zero. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's an interesting question. You know, I think we spent a lot of time together as a family. We did a lot, we did a lot of these outdoor activities and things Mm -hmm. that we loved. Um, You know, another one for me is, is music. You know, my family's very musical. I'm a lifelong musician. And after a brief stint after college, you know, realizing that being a professional musician was a really hard road and, and led me to kind of not enjoy music. When it when I felt like I it needed to pay the bills. You know, that was another thing that I that I just wanted to have more time to be able to do is to to play music and write music and record music and all that stuff. So I think that it wasn't like my parents were crazy, like you must become an entrepreneur. <laughs> they, you know, they'd be proud of me no matter what I'm doing as long as I'm happy. But I, I think that. The way I grew up getting, you know, getting to do these fun outdoor things, getting to to play a lot of music with the stark contrast of like, wow, you know, a corporate nine to five doesn't doesn't feel like it leaves much time for that richer outside life. Mm -hmm. Kind of the contrast between the two just led me to entrepreneurship and kind of like, well, this is how this is how I have to do it if I want to live that kind
0: of life. Uh, there also seems to be an appreciation for um, creativity, for art. You're a writer. You talked about being a musician. Um, my background is actually uh, in design. I got a master's in architecture and worked three years in architecture before I became um, an entrepreneur. So I still have a deep appreciation for that. And you actually worked with an architect and really focused on like the finishes and craftsmanship of your tiny home. How does having like, a beautiful and well-designed space empower you? and your life.
1: I think having a well-designed space is a, is a luxury, you know, and mm-hmm. re- it doesn't have to be big to have it feel relaxing. You know, mm-hmm. the, the tiny house has a ton of windows, so it's just the natural light inside of the space is just, is amazing. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think that humans need more light, more natural light than we get. And so, um, getting to go to the tiny house is so relaxing. Usually Anne will say it to me or just, I'll say it to Anne, Like, Oh, it's so great to be here. Um, you know, we sleep so well, it's quiet. Um, you know, the space does have its quirks. I mean, there's no, there's no perfect design for a tiny house space. There are compromises there. You know, there are times when we wish we had more space in the tiny house. I won't, you know, I would be lying if I said, it's perfect. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's giant. It meets all of our needs. Um, yeah. But I think learning to live with those trade-offs is, is part of the reward of living tiny. And it's also why it's so important to do a good job planning it because, mm. you know, it is harder to rearrange and expand.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you feel a, a closer sense of ownership having it designed and then also you took part in the building process?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um it it's again a luxury to to be able to walk into a space and say, you know, this was designed for me or and I had a, you know, I played a major role in the design. I was I was the client of somebody who designed the space for me. Um and then and then having built it um it's it's an amazing, really rewarding feeling. You know, every time you you know every time you look at it, it's just you know it's something that you made, and so there's mm-hmm. a there's an enormous sense of pride.
0: Something that you also value a lot is you know travel, the freedom of place, freedom of work, ultimately, kind of aligning your life with this autonomy to do what you want every single day. So, why is this important, and how can other people discover the values that they should align their life around?
1: yeah I mean, I think that those things are important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but they aren't necessarily important to everyone else, and I think that that the the stress should be on discovering what is important to you and then trying to do more of that rather than you know following what's important to me. you know when i when I started in on this, I thought that I really wanted like location independence and that I wanted to be able to travel all the time. Mm-hmm. And as, as the years have ticked by, you know, I find that I kind of don't want to travel as much. I, I, I really value being home and being comfortable in my space. Mm-hmm. Um, visiting family is, it is travel, but it's also very, it's very comfortable. You know, it's not, it's not adventure. And, and while I still want some adventure, I, you know, I have evolved in the sense that I don't think I want it all the time. I don't want to be doing those kinds of things all the time. Cause there's, there's so much here at home. To-
0: it seems like a a balance too, of having that comfort. And then, you know, as an entrepreneur and, you know, building a tiny home, doing, quitting your nine to five, those are all like risk taking things, but eventually you got comfortability out of those.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and you get, I suppose you just get comfortable with, uh, with that risk that level of risk mm-hmm. um, i mean at this point i i joke that i'm like unemployable i'm not unemployable <laughs> but i just never would want to work for somebody else right you know i've i've fully bought in to the to the trade off um and you know i of course i'm also lucky that my my partner does have a traditional job and career so mm. you know things like healthcare, you know, (laughs) we're able to get through, through her and not, you know, I'm not under any impression that like, oh, I did this all by myself. Um, because there are certain things about my lifestyle that are enabled by, you know, the fact that I, you know, we get our health insurance through my wife's work. Like that would be really hard if, if that wasn't, an option.
0: You graduated in 2007 and went into the market looking for a job during one of the worst economic downturns in 2008. For younger people who are coming into similar situations now, how have you seen this shaping people's thinking about owning a home?
1: You mean 2007,
0: right? It, well, um, how was it thinking then? But oh. how is, do you think now people are thinking about it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've heard, I've heard the class of 2008 like referred to as the lost the lost class or something mm-hmm. because, you know, they graduated college in, in 08 and just, you know, went into basically the worst job market possible. Um, you know, I was lucky because I graduated in 07 and, you know, I was able to get a job, you know, it, it was just, the, the economic crisis was kind of just hitting the news. Right. Um, for, for those people, of my age, I would say that, you know, people were, it, it, it kind of reshaped people's views of home ownership and that, you know, a mortgage was not necessarily a great thing to kind of sign on the dotted line for. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we kind of watched mostly as our parents, you know, you know, had their houses foreclosed or got, you know, really tied up in in a lot of bad debt. And so I think that that influenced my decision to want to build and live in a tiny house. Just this this idea that that I own it outright. There's no no bank that's going to no interest rates are going to change. No, you know, I'm not going to default on this and and then have to give it up. Um I think I think now Interestingly, like the, the, the group of kind of retirees who are interested in tiny houses, I think that's the the fastest growing group of tiny house dwellers. Um, Yeah, I would, again, I don't have like actual data on this, but just based on, you know, who buys my resources, who's a part of my membership community. um, I think that that group is actually bigger now than the, than the millennials.
0: Mm -hmm. What do you think that is?
1: Well, you see a lot of kind of millennials, you know, my age, doing tiny houses as their first home and then moving on. And so you see, Mm -hmm. you know, you see people living tiny for a few years and then either selling their tiny house or, you know, buying a small single family home and then using the tiny house as an Airbnb, a source of income. And like, you know, I have no problem with that. I never I never thought that I would live in the tiny house forever. My my math was, you know, if I could live in it for 3 years, then I would have paid off I think it was even 2 years. Um it was 2 years when I started and 3 years when the actual costs, you know, the costs went higher, but you know, after 3 years I'd covered my I'd cover my expenses and it wouldn't matter what happened after that. The people who are going into this you know, for retirement, they're like, I want to live here for the rest of my life, or I want to live here until, you know, they have to take me off to a home. (laughs) Um, so they're approaching it much less as a stepping stone and more as like, this is my forever home.
0: Uh, What do you think the, uh, the future of housing looks like and how could we house a ever growing population?
1: Great question. Um, there's a lot of really promising things happening um, when it comes to tiny houses. I don't, I don't think that tiny houses are the future. I think that they are absolutely part of the future. Um, But if I made that, if I kind of expanded that and made it more broad, you know, hopefully the future is that, you know, we can acknowledge that we've built homes way too large in this country for a long time. So normalizing the idea that, that you can live a fulfilling life and raise children and, you know, do whatever it is that you need to do in, in a small house. Because, you know, even a a 600 or 700 square foot house is tiny by American standards, but is, is especially going back to what you mentioned before about design, you know, a really well-designed 700-square-foot space can be ample, you know, really, really useful space. Poorly designed 700-square-foot space (laughs) could also be a complete waste of space. I mean, you know, this condo that I'm in right now is about 800 square feet, and I would estimate that 400 square feet of it is a hallway that runs, (laughs) you know, it's a long, narrow unit. Um, So the usable space here is very tiny and is also a small percentage, but a really well-designed 700 square feet could be fully utilized and and just great. And I'm on a total tangent. Future of housing. (laughs) Um, There are a lot of cities now that are coming around to tiny houses. Um, Actually just a couple of days ago, um, the city of Los Angeles passed um, an ordinance that allows a tiny house on wheels. To be considered an accessory dwelling unit. Oh, that's and awesome! Yeah, it is awesome. And so, this—the big future of housing that I'm focused on—is—is is kind of utilizing empty space, you know, behind our single-family homes in the yards right. on empty lots. Um, and the solution isn't just to have more developers who can come in with, you know, millions of dollars to convert the old schoolhouse into swanky loft condos um, or, you know, take the abandoned shopping mall and redevelop it as a mixed use, you know, downtown space that does have its place. But I think that that housing tends to address the needs of those who are already kind of well off. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, a tiny house on wheels if you build it yourself can be built reasonably for between twenty-five and fifty thousand dollars, um, if you if you hire it out, if you if you buy a pre-made tiny house, you could spend anywhere from fifty to one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Um, I know there are parts of the country where you can buy a single-family home for that much, um, but where where I am on the East Coast in the Northeast, you know, owning a home outright for for sixty or seventy thousand dollars is a whole new. Just it, it unlocks the the possibility for a lot of people, and and what's needed is the laws to catch up to to basically do what right. Los Angeles did and said like you can make a tiny house on wheels and, and ADU.
0: Yeah, um, a big part of it is you know codes and the laws basically around these. I mean, you mentioned you know in your um, in your space now you have you know four hundred square feet that's probably hallway. And yeah. that's often for, you know, fire exits and all of this other stuff, certain space that needs use. Yeah. How could uh, we better educate people in understanding the utility of space and what we actually need? Um, you know, kind of getting us away from we need this big old house kind of to utilizing space better.
1: Well, you know, it's an interesting question. I, I think that we get caught in a trap of of when we're shopping for homes that is we start thinking about the home as an investment and mm-hmm. that's not a bad thing because that you know i be, i'm sure i've i've read some stats somewhere that like that is the most common investment for an american you know that's the biggest single investment that people make and that's usually what people are counting on To retire on that, you know, the increased value of their home. But the problem is, is that we start looking at it as an investment. And so that pushes us to, to buy what we think other people might want to buy Hmm. versus what, what we think that we actually need slash what we can actually afford. And so the tiny house movement is kind of flipping that because a lot of people are doing this without Taking out loans, so they're they're basically spending their savings to do a tiny house, which puts you into a much different frame of mind. It's not like an investment thing. It's a like how can I do this as as reasonably as cost effectively as possible, but also how can I do this so that it will work for me, not for
0: somebody mm-hmm. else. Yeah, there's a huge element too of giving power to um, lower income. Um, people to enable them to have this so how have you seen the tiny house movement or other housing situations kind of tackle that lower income or even homeless
1: I mean frankly I don't think the tiny house movement is doing that great of a job of it Um, some of that is systemic and some of that is is within Uh, you know starting on the outside you know that there still isn't really a great pathway to get financing for a tiny house. And, you know, even though tiny houses are much more affordable than than traditional homes, you know, coming up with twenty-five, fifty, seventy-five thousand dollars up front is not possible for a large majority of people. So, you know, being able to afford a tiny home is is a privilege in in and of itself. Um, you know, within the tiny house movement, there has been um problems with with inclusion, and just you almost see the the same things that were happening in in housing in the you know in the nineteenth or sorry in the twentieth century that that works to to kind of create inequities and prevent minority people from from buying homes it's almost playing out again in the, in the tiny house movement. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I've interviewed, um, Jewel Pearson on my show who, um, you know, is a woman of color who built a tiny house and has experienced a lot of, a lot of racism and a lot of, you know, surprisingly, you know, not been accepted in the tiny house movement. And so there's work to be done on both the, the systems, you know, the financing and the laws, but also, you know, within the movement, making sure that this is for everybody. Mm. Um, There are some great nonprofits around the country who have um, built tiny houses for veterans, tiny houses for, for people who are homeless, um, people suffering with mental health issues. Um, They're a great model. and, And there are a lot of really promising, you know, applications there because when you, when you look at the nonprofit world and, and that kind of stuff, like the amount of money that that gets spent is large. And so a right. tiny, uh, you know, giving somebody a tiny home is actually not that expensive compared to some of the other services that are provided.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, before I get to my last question, where can everybody find more about you and everything that you're doing?
1: Sure. Uh, everything is at the tinyhouse Um, that's where you'll find links to my podcast which is tiny house lifestyle podcast um tiny house decisions and it's all it's all there
0: awesome well my last question is how can we push the world to evolve
1: it's a great question um i'm a systems nerd so i, I like my answer to that question is that we have to look at the effects of our decisions not just right now, but, but into the future Mm -hmm. and thinking of what we do and the things that we build as part of a system, rather than just, uh, just alone. I think when you start thinking that way, your decisions change. And if, if more people can start thinking that way, then, then the world could
0: potentially evolve. Awesome. Well, I love that answer, Ethan. Thank you so much for coming on Evolve today and sharing everything that you had.
1: Thank you so much, Brandon. This was great.
0: Hey, you. Yes, you. I want to thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, then please open up your podcast app, rate and review. That's really going to help get this life-changing content out to more entrepreneurs just like you who are pushing the world forward. As always, my friend, keep evolving.